Hi, my name is Don Hahn. I'm the producer of Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, and you're listening to the Pixar Podcast. To infinity and beyond! So, uh, how long is this going to take? Squirrel! You can't rush art. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. What's the point of going out there? They'll only laugh at me. Stranger, from the outside. Hello there, Pixar fans. Welcome again to another episode of the Pixar Podcast. This is episode number 133. ThePixarPodcast.com slash 133 is where you can find the show notes for this episode. I'm Derek Clements. And today on the Pixar Podcast, a conversation with Andrew Stanton and Lindsay Collins about Pixar diving back into the ocean with Finding Dory. You know, we were all sitting, you know, in our heads in our hands, getting a note session back and feeling like we're not hitting it. And, you know, somebody was like, well, I just don't understand why she would do that. And, and it was like, well, because obviously she wandered for years alone in the ocean before she met Marlon. And everybody was like, what? <laughs> and she, he was like, well, that's the backstory. I mean, she was alone forever. And it was like, what? And he's like, I never told you that? And all of us were like, that would have been good. So finding Dory. Are you excited to see the film? What do you think? I can say now that I've seen about 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, They showed us some footage at the press event where I met Andrew Stanton and Lindsay Collins and many other filmmakers behind the film. And I'm always looking forward to a Pixar movie, but I gotta admit, when they announced Finding Dory, something about it didn't quite feel right to me. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it until the footage was rolling and I saw that it worked. It was only as I was watching my worry float away into the deep ocean that I realized what I had been worried about, and that is the tone. The first Finding Nemo film had such a unique tone, and and I thought, oh, with the sequel, are they really going to be able to capture that same essence? You forget how dark the first movie is. It's a dark movie with with and it's a dramatic movie and it's just got a lot of funny things in it but it's 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 more dark and dramatic than people think about so that is what i was most excited about with the footage that i saw from finding dory it feels like it belongs in the same universe as the first film it really does expand upon the story but not undermine in any way the feeling of the first film. I think that it's actually going to expand it. So I am really excited to see the rest of this movie. So that tone that Finding Nemo has, that humor mixed with sadness and that earnestness with sort of an edge that is Finding Nemo, Where did that tone come from? Well, it turns out the answer to that question is one of my favorite things that I learned at this press event. This is the soundtrack to the 1994 film Little Women. It's by Thomas Newman. I remember it a lot from growing up, actually. My sisters loved the movie. They actually found a Thomas Newman in the phone book and left a message um, on this person's phone saying how much they loved the music. It probably wasn't the same Thomas Newman, but the point is, it is great music. 
Well, what I found out is that while writing Finding Nemo, like 15-something years ago, um, before Thomas Newman had even been signed to score the film, Andrew Stanton listened to just tons and tons and tons of Thomas Newman soundtracks. So Shawshank Redemption, American Beauty, all these great scores, and it really just put him in the zone to create Nemo, Dory, and Marlin. But with all this Thomas Newman listening, there was one thing that Andrew Stanton did use to break that otherwise strict musical diet. I would listen to Nine Inch Nails of Fragile like every day just to like keep myself dark. So like I would just like somehow like balance it, you know. So what is Finding Nemo? It's Thomas Newman and Nine Inch Nails. To be honest, I I think that makes a lot of sense to me. (laughs) But most of all, I am just thrilled that they managed to recapture that same spirit in the new movie, which is in theaters June 17th in the United States. I'm very excited to see it. And I'm very excited to present today's episode for you, a full conversation with the director and producer, Andrew Stanton and Lindsay Collins. This is the first of a lot of coverage I'm going to do about the behind the scenes of Finding Dory. I'm not even done with all the good dinosaur coverage, (laughs) to be honest, but just looking at my calendar of upcoming episodes for the podcast makes me very excited about all the stuff that's coming up soon, as well as the next episode of Disney Animation Podcast series, which will be coming soon as well. Very excited about all this. You can get in touch with me at the Pixar Podcast on Twitter love to know what you think of this episode and everything else that I'm up to these days. But for now, let's enjoy this conversation with Andrew Stanton and Lindsay Collins, director and producer of Finding Dory. Hi. Hi. Okay, so you want introductions. I'm Jim Hill with Huffington Post. You are? Benji Griper at FlashingPlace.com. Cool. Bill Desowitz, IndieWire. Dan Sarto, Animation Network. Uh, Tom McLean, Animation Magazine. And Derek Clements, The Pixar Podcast. Cool. Cool. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming down here. Yeah. Out here, wherever you're from. (laughs) Up here. Up here. Okay, up here. And up here. Well, why don't we just jump into it? Yeah. I guess the conceit of having a character with a short-term memory problem and designing a plot around a character <laughs> I know. that forgets... It's a glutton for punishment. Well, yeah. and, and, you know, with, with the whole notion of, you know, the, the one thing you never want to do with a movie is have your audience get ahead of you. And this is a character, you know, they're constantly yeah. behind. Yeah, it was it was a bane of our existence through the whole making of it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Lindsay was saying, I kept complaining every like day going who the hell thought of this character and I, I hate him <laughs> she was wired up t- to be a supporting character she was that she was built to be the ultimate sidekick mm-hmm. and um, the thing that um, slowly led us out of the fog was that oh we should embrace that in the story itself like that's her issue is that she spent her whole life 
making sure everybody else got what they needed. Uh, basically driven a lot by uh, an internal fear of being alone. Um, and uh, and she deserved to not be driven by fear anymore from that and to embrace that and to know that that's her superpower, not her, her weakness. And um, so we had, but it took about two years for us to realize that self-reflection is necessary to track growth in a main character and to be able to go, oh, you know, uh, the way I felt long ago, I now feel differently and be able to state that. And she can't. And so um, she's always had emotional memory in our mind. It was sort of this weird rule we just had for ourselves just to track her in the first movie. So we had that, but we just to diagnose that that was the problem took about a year and a yeah. half into making the movie just to realize that was our problem. Mm -hmm. And then to solve that problem had a million answers. Like we just had to keep coming up with other characters to speak for other people, you know, somebody, to, somebody like Hank to be present with us through the whole thing that can be self-aware of what's going on and to remind her is huge. Just lots of little tricks. And, but uh, we, yeah. but once we owned it and once we understood that that was the issue is we could look for it and we could kind of deal with it. And, uh, and also find cinematic ways to do it. So, um, you know, I don't want to give away the movie or anything, but, but, um, but we, we managed it. It was, but I would not recommend it, and I, w I would never want to do that again. You know, yeah. it was, it, um, we solved that one, and it was a and unique it was, problem. It was also, you know, again, even just a step, one step further back was kind of you had a you had a backstory for Dory um, when you wrote her for for the first film, and you know, you kind of always knew it, um, and it informed how you wrote her and all that. But it took about a year or two or a couple drafts of this mm. script before. You know, we were all sitting, you know, in our heads in our hands, getting a note session back and feeling like we're not hitting it. And, you know, somebody was like, well, I just don't understand why she would do that. And, and it was like, well, because obviously she wandered the years, uh, the, for years alone in the ocean before she met Marlon. And everybody was like, what? <laughs> and she, he was like, well, that's the backstory. I mean, she was alone forever. And it was like, what? And he's like, I never told you that? And all of us were like, that would have been good. So um, even just having all of that in the initial writing yeah. of her character that was never explicitly said, but it was always something that you felt she was coming from, an yeah. experience she was coming from, and the fear of being alone and nobody sticking with her, and, and um, that kind of led to her breakdown at the end of the first film, was all of the kind of reason that fearing she hadn't gotten over that yeah. was, you know, what made you kind of want to do the second film. So it was, took even about a year before Andrew was like, oh, right, I should probably tell you guys. And then we dramatized, you know, once you dramatized it, it brought everybody up to speed. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think unconsciously everybody, everybody walks away going, she's made me laugh, she's made me smile, she's such a fun character, I like her. But unconsciously I think everybody knows she's a tragic character because how else can you show that first movie, never say anything about it, and yet right at the end of the movie she starts getting upset that he's leaving her and she breaks down and you nobody questions it. Nobody questions it because I think there's no way your brain doesn't go, how can you have short-term memory loss and be alone in the ocean and not have some trauma from that and not have some, some loss and some tragedy from that. So I think we just had, but the, the, the resonance of how you feel from watching Finding Nemo is so large now after 10 years. It's like, I think it was like, well, there's no way we, we, we can't just like, we can't address this simply. We have to like really indulge. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being a really <clears throat> nice reminder, I think also, I find as you forget how dark the first movie is. It's a dark movie with with and it's a dramatic movie and it's just got a lot of funny things in it but it's 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 
it's more dark and dramatic than people think about it. and I remember at the time that I made Nemo in the middle of making it um, it was a it was a hard movie to watch with an audience because it didn't feel familiar to all the other movies we had done but since then it was Toy Story Toy Story 2 Bugs Life and the Monsters and there was a consistent amount of vocalization and laughter that you would hear in all those movies that you just started you know that was all I knew was those movies and so you just got used to that but you would watch Nemo and it would be long, 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 long minutes, minutes, minutes of silence and then a laugh and then like long, long, long and I thought, oh, we're bombing, we're bombing <laughs> but it's, no, it's a different beast it's a very emotional movie and it's a very like engaging dramatic movie and so that's the thing that I realized oh, I think people even forget that after watching it over time and so it was kind of nice to have this double duty that you could just open this movie and just go yeah, this is this is this is how the other ones started like it's, 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 it's intense, yeah. you know it's an interesting... <clears throat> It ends up being an interesting companion piece to Nemo, and I remember when we mm. first talked about Nemo, and the whole seed of this was being a, a new father for you and realizing you have to get over the fear of, of letting go and let your child yeah. wander and explore and go through the rite of passage. But the ultimate fear really is being alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now you get to deal with it. From another angle. From, from, um, yeah. from a midlife. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, it's exactly. It's. It. it, it I mean, these. Are, the I think any, any well-intended movie that has consistent authorship, um, ends up becoming a, 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 a psychological couch moment for the right. Like they end up realizing that they're saying something they didn't even know they were trying to say about, the, or, or just figure out something about themselves. I remember Mike Nichols seeing this great. Uh, documentary on recently and he basically said all of his movies had ended up becoming you know couch movies you know <laughs> therapy movies for himself like in and, and, and it's and it's true I mean you can't not and and sure enough this one is like you know my kids are gone and uh, who am I and and what do I see how do I see myself and how do I and and uh, how do I uh, lead without any help of direction and that's basically, you know, what we were trying to imbue Dory with by the end of this thing was like how to let her own who she is, embrace all the same limitations she's always had, but be comfortable in the driver's seat. What she's been comfortable in her whole life and it was what guaranteed security and attention and companionship is being the ultimate support for everybody else. Yeah. How, do you, how do you determine where the dangers are in a story like this with regards to being in the ocean where in reality everything, everything is, is right and 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 so you've got you yeah. know you know you're, you're young and then you're, you're alone yeah you're and, and you're afraid and potentially there's everything is everything is potentially dangerous yes how mm-hmm. how, how do you arbitrate that with regards i don't know to it's it, it's 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 funny to you kind of just go by uh, instinct. You, it, there's something ubiquitous in a comforting way, like that's some sort of a wall-to-wall carpet about that, where you're just kind of like everything's after you, so you don't have to think about it. Like, all right, it's just all these things can be bad. But I also buy that, like, <clears throat> you can have that uh, you can have that attitude about coming into a city you haven't been to before, and then be pleasantly surprised that, like, oh, this person that seems tough on the exterior happens to be nice. So there's a lot of fun and and um, uh, truth to. Uh, you know, not judging a book by its cover and stuff. So we've 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 had some species where we go, that's just 
we're not even going to question that the, the intention of that character, that, that creature, that character. And there's others where we're like, well, technically they eat fish, yeah, yeah, but like these characters are just too lazy to do anything about it. You know, like <laughs> like like it's suddenly you can treat them like people that have other lives and other issues, and it's not just nature that's saying you got to go after these Dictating things and eat it, them. Yeah. And it's fun. That's that's what that you know. That's what makes it a little bit more um, multifaceted. Yeah. You know. It allows you to balance it with like kind of the internal the internal fears versus the world the external yeah. fears. And that's the half the fun. That's that's how is is finding character in creatures. Yeah. You know. You have to sort of like alter the the, the way you approach the character's humor and, and, and switching her from a supporting character to a, to a lead character and especially one who kind of. Uh, essentially has a mental illness and if you yeah. and if you, you poke at that too much it goes from being funny to being sad yeah. yeah no yeah. we really yeah. struggled with that and it was man it that was the most delicate dance as, yes. as we as we kind of wrote her and animated her and, and, and it was and the thing is the good thing was was when we didn't do it right, everybody knew it. Like it was, yeah, you, could, you would watch it and be like, that, that doesn't it, yeah. feel right. Like we were either playing her too dumb, we're playing it too mean, we're playing, you know, it doesn't feel true to Dory. She's stronger than that. She seems too weak. Like, and because that's not the Dory, I mean, it's both, both the burden and the gift is that we knew her very well, or we thought we did. Yeah. And it was, you know, and so it was like, nobody was the heart, a harsher critic on whether we were being true to this character that we had we feel like we know very well than we were, meaning yeah. it was instantaneous. It's like we would put it up and we'd watch it and be like, it's not working. She's coming off really annoying or she's coming, and she was none of those things or in the first song. Or, or ditzy. Yeah, and, yeah. and so it was trying to find that balance of being true to who she was and trying to allow her to grow, yeah. not fix her. But it's, like, how do you, you know, how do you It's conditional, it's circumstantial, right? It's like, it's much more complex character if, uh, if a person always puts on a show of confidence or strength or, or um, uh, assuredness, but the truth is, it's only if this if you hang out with me. And then what the truth is is that like I've never been put in a situation where like you're asking me to leave you and still do my job, you know. And so everything, you know, you you just figure out what the conditions are for that character to mm -hmm. like put them in a state that they haven't had to be in maybe in another movie. It's it's the it's the whole reason you can keep growing characters that you think you know and you're suddenly in the second season of or third or fourth season of it, like you have to change the environments and the situations so that you don't feel like oh wait a minute we were here before mm -hmm. and they didn't they acted like this and now you're putting them in the same environment. You have to find a way to shift it because that's what happens in life right just a, one variable changes that has never been that way exactly in that combo before and suddenly you find out yourself you're reacting to it differently than you would thought you would have it's it's you know the, your whole life self-discovered like that so that's half the fun of figuring that out with with another character it's just uh, hard going and a lot of labor <laughs> if, you know so I want to take a peek inside your head, Andrew, and 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 talk God. about the, the a lot of mucus. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> okay, um, I wonder what sort of worried you as you were making this movie because I, I, if I recall, on the on the Nemo DVD, you talked about like, is this going to be Pixar's first flop? Like, who who even knows? And I mean, back then, Pixar wasn't as big as a recognized brand. I think really until Nemo, like that yeah. was a huge. Huge movie. What, 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 how would, it, how was it a different emotional experience making? Well, this? I, what I remember viscerally from Nemo was worrying about not so much whether it would, because you don't worry about the flop side of it. You worry yeah. about the cause of what would do that. Like yeah. for me, the only thing I could control was the story, and yeah. it's always ever been. And what I worried about was, am I telling? I'm, what I remember always saying was, am I telling an ABC after school special? Am I telling an ABC <laughs> after school special? This is so on the nose, in some ways, about a dad saying he misses his son. There's nothing. Um, 
it's it's just so direct and I just didn't want to be treacly. I would listen to Nine Inch Nails the Fragile like every day just to like keep myself dark. So like I would just like somehow like balance it, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I was just trying to figure out a way to like navigate that because I wanted it to be honest. Yeah. And um and this one I I just it was I, I I'm gonna keep coming back to it because it really was the issue. It was just how the hell do I keep Dory um, uh, interesting from a main character's yeah. job standpoint, and at the same time not neuter uh, what makes her so interesting? Because frankly, it's we call it the Clark Kent disease. Like almost mm. anybody that's a main character ends up having to kind of play the role a little serious. Mm. I mean, it was the same thing with Marlon. He ends up being the straight man. He's the greatest straight man and knows how to play the comedy so that the moments were funnier, but he never got, he would be, he became the butt of the joke or he, he assisted in a joke, but he wasn't the one delivering literally the punchline usually. And um, Dory got all that. But now Dory, you know, I knew as a main character probably wasn't gonna get that opportunity as often. Mm -hmm. And so it's like how to find the interest and I knew that the answer would always be just if you're staying true to the storyline of what's going on with her and you're trying to like keep that engaging, uh, th it'll iron itself out. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, but that was, that, was the, that was the bigger risk. And, and also, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but to just forget you made another film. Hmm. To just forget, I mean, I knew this was the trick when we did Toy Story 2 and, and uh, which was the only, and Toy Story 3, which, but really 2 was the only other sequel I've ever been like really, really involved with through, mm -hmm. the, through production. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, I, and I just wanted it to have the same chances and the same um, boot camp that any original had, had, had ever had. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just wanted to treat it like nobody's ever seen the first one, I've never seen the first one, how would I, how would I deal with this? And um, and you you have to do extra steps to put yourself in that mindset. You don't come to work with that mindset. You have to you have to you know do do more work for that. So that that was probably it. Cool. Talk about dealing with the pressures and demands of the way the industry is today and the way Pixar has changed. Well, well it's it's it's, <laughs> like, well. it's the the world's it's completely exposed now like there's yeah. no there's no hiding there's no you get to go away for your in your log cabin and then mm -hmm. come out five years later and you know it's I think you know I think it's it's we're in this rare and and I maybe in some ways less so because Disney I think is doing really really well which is nice because I think you know for a while there we just kept getting compared to each other mm -hmm. right yeah and it was like okay now I'm just it's like being compared to your brother or your sister yeah. <laughs> all the yeah. time being like yeah. He's funnier, and you're like, I know, but he's my brother. Okay, now I feel like I don't. I mean, it was like so. It was this yeah. weird feeling, yeah. and um, because it is felt, it does feel like we all kind of, in some li either limited or very involved way, are involved in each one of our own films. I mean, everybody's drawn in at one point or another, in some way or another, to help one of the films get out the door. Um, and so there is a sense of communal involvement. Mm -hmm. And so when it starts to get you start to kind of worry that we're being compared to one another. That's hard, you know, to do and to deal with. And I think now that, you know, I think Disney Feature Animation has put out a lot of great films. And so we get to kind of have the, the, the larger brethren. But I think it's, you know, I think what's the most difficult is, is knowing that, um, that the industry itself is, you know, more and more, there's less and less of it happening, you know, there was in California. And I think that's, yeah. I mean, every time there's a, better film coming out than one of ours 
like we win because it's everything yeah. we're just like oh that's it's so good it's a challenging game. it's not a zero to some game it's mm. like that means people love it that means people want to see it and that means we have to up our game yeah um and and we're inspired right so it's been i think there's been some weird periods where it's felt as though it's getting smaller mm. right and then you kind of get these little bursts of mm. greatness that come out of these other studios that kind of reinvigorate you again i think it's it's different i mean i think for us, it's it's hard to go back into um, a story we've been away from for a long time and remind ourselves of like, okay, what what were the all all the things that were hard then in a weird way were hard on this film too. We're like, how do we not get any smarter? It's like going back to fifth grade and being like, why am I still failing algebra? Like I'm supposed to be smarter right now. So we still everything is still hard. Um, you or know. even if technically it's easier now, you just your app. It's no different than the appetite the, the, gets the, bigger. Your, your appetite gets bigger. I, I know there's a term for that. And so Eating you end up games. buying you you buying it you buy a, a computer that can do a thousand times more than what your computer <laughs> had ten years ago. But now you just want to do a thousand things more with it. Yeah, you know? we used to have to have like you only could have like one shot. I think on the original film that the camera broke the frame from yeah, like, underwater to above water. We were like, oh, you we can do only do now. one because the camera. Yeah. we can't do that. And this one's like, bam, 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 bam. It's like I want more. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, it's the limitations are different, but the appetite just grows yeah. to keep in touch. Yeah, so I think it's true. the industry itself. I mean, again, just when you think you're, you're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, some, you know, Zootopia comes out and it's at 98% and it's doing incredibly well and you're like, all right, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, so it's, I feel, I feel like... It's like Dory, you accept... You accept it. Yeah, probably, probably, You accept yeah. it, hopefully, you know. I, I mean, I guess it's a sign of age, you know, I've, I've, I've lived through 40 decades, uh, four decades of, of clear consciousness of the movie industry and it's... It's changed so many times, and, but what hasn't changed is Storytelling. The, the good stuff gets found out. Yeah. One way or another, the good stuff gets found out. Along those lines, even though as much as the technology has changed, your job as a storyteller hasn't. It's still, it's still the same. Yeah. But audiences have changed, and audiences' expectations have changed. Yeah. How does that impact you when you sit and spend three and a half years on a story I don't know. I take the even wider view that like story hasn't changed through all the time that all the audiences have kept changing. <laughs> so somehow it'll win out over time. And there's a reason that I can sit and be enamored with uh, uh, Wizard of Oz for an audience that was very different in the 30s. And, uh, and in, I'm, I'm, there are going to be these moments where the that the immediate current zeitgeist is not in match with what the current thing you're saying, but in the long run, if it's a good story, it'll still. I still want to believe it. it'll still get found. I mean, the, I found so many movies that I have no idea to this day whether they were a flop or whether they were a huge hit. But I'm so glad I found them when I did, and they informed my taste and growing up. Some were through my relatives, some through on my own hunt pack, some through whatever. And I'm just, I just, I take a wider view about good stuff exists and finds its way. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm just glad my, I mean, Walt was the same way. He, all his, his only concern for economics was so that it would allow him to be able to keep doing to what make he wanted the next to do. One, yeah. And that's the only business model I've ever <laughs> fortunately been blessed with being around. It's like anything we've ever chosen, whether it was a seemingly a, a good or a bad decision, economics-wise, was just in the hopes that we can just keep putting on a play. And that eventually, 
you know, people will come. And, you said it. You, you said know. it really well. I was. It, you said it. To, I can't remember when you said it, but you said it recently, and I was like, God, I never thought about it that way. Which is, you know, at some point, ten years from now, twenty years from now, people are going to watch our films as Pixar, as a studio, completely out of order. Because that's right. How There's going to be a generation that's mm-hmm. going to go. I'm going to watch. You know, and they're not going to know the order that they were made. My favorite movie as a kid was Aristocats. I had no idea it was a bomb. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> I had no idea I was not supposed to like it. And I love that. <laughs> and I'm so glad it was made. But I love that because it'll, it'll, it will be seen less as, like, how did this film advance from that film, which is yeah. what we feel, right? Yeah. It's like, how are we, to your point, like, is the audience going to notice that, you know, we did this differently. Technically, it looks better than it did on the last film. And, and we're very conscious of it in the moment. But then you go, in 10 years from now... Somebody's going to watch, you know, maybe Incredibles and then watch A Bug's Life and then watch, you know, Toy Story and then watch Monsters and there's not going to be any sense of, hopefully, they're just going to be like, oh, that was, I like the story. And, and, I, and so I'm, that's kind of what you hope is that it, it'll be seen ultimately through time as like... I mean, I'm just a dumb artist, and all I do is I go, am I not fired? Can I do it again? <laughs> all right, great. And then you just move on. And, and it's we try kind to fire of, those him, are the two questions at the end, so then, you know? So it's it's true. I mean, it, it's and you just devote. You try all your to have that kind of. So. And, you know, there are days where we don't have that kind of objectivity. <laughs> like it all sucks. <laughs> oh God. Just there's like a few. What did you learn about Dory this time around that you didn't know before? <sighs> you know, I thought I knew her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I didn't have to break her down like I do a main character. So. It took a long time to realize, oh, you know, I'm like you were saying before, like we're playing her dumb or we're playing her ditzy or we're playing her mean or we're playing like you just the, the nuances of her. Um, she wasn't asked to do so many uh, very subtle things, mm-hmm. very subtle shifts and changes mm-hmm. and be the focal point at all times in the scene. And so I had to own her or, or basically get to know her at a level I just had never experienced before. Um, and I can't say it's like I discovered something completely. I guess one of the things that I underestimated about her was how um, street savvy she was. Um, that she had, I don't know how else to put it, um, New York instincts. <laughs> you know, like, like she had fight, not flight yeah. in her. And, um, but that she could be, uh, she could lose confidence very quickly depending on the condition. And, and, uh, and, and, but it was a very specific condition. And so that was just, that was just a growth of me understanding her over time. I think I, I, I came, and it wasn't something intended, it just now as I watch the film again and again, I, I learned, like, she never asks, we've kind of surrounded her with people who are struggling with something, mm-hmm. right? She's, there's a septopus, you know, and yeah. there's um, <laughs> a, a nearsighted whale shark, and there's Nemo with a little fin, and she never asks. Yeah. She never asks about why yeah. or what happened, or, you know, and here's this fish with short-term memory, and she apologizes a lot for herself, you know, and her own, but she never asks mm. about anybody else. She just is accepting of it and moves on, and it's kind of, this beautiful thing. I think it's why she resonates actually as a character kind of beyond yeah. this, just the movie itself. I think why people... She was like a born caretaker. She, yeah. and, um, and I think, and she's, and she's got obviously the ability to see things in people that she just chooses to be like, this is what I love about this person. I'm going to stick with them. Um, and I think that as, as a character, it was like the biggest gift we could give her 
was for her to think that way about herself. Mm-hmm. You know? Cool. And so... Well, it's weird being, you know, you're, you get to reboot yeah. time and time and time again. And some people would see that as a total gift, right? Which I did in the first movie. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, yeah. oh, I wish I had that. Yeah. <laughs> and Hank, sa- Hank says it in the movie. Yeah. He goes, kid, if I were you, you know, no memories, no problems. You know, yeah. he basically says yeah. something like that. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's kind of perplexed by that. But and she's like, but I'm looking for all, I want to... That's the stuff that makes for good drama. There is a duality to it. Mm-hmm. It's gray. It's not black or white. Yeah. Talk a little about Ellen's contribution to this? Well, without Ellen, there is no Dory. I mean, I, I don't know what it's like for people to see her in another country where you don't hear Ellen. Because it means, to me, it's the most symbiotic role um, I've ever been involved with. It's the only role I've ever written with only a certain actor in mind. Hmm took a big gamble on that first one and because I couldn't figure out that uh, how to do that character until I heard her mm. and uh, <clears throat> so and you know we l- sort of lulled ourselves into the sense of complacency for the first year just doing scratch and everything like that thinking like oh okay we, we, we have her and then we did our first session with Ellen and there's just this X factor that comes in of, of, of um, charm appeal mm. um Sophistication, I guess, is a word I don't associate with her. Yet the minute I heard Ellen with it, um, there was an intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, a base of high intelligence that I that I just had even myself fallen victim to underestimating, until she suddenly said these lines, and I and it, it and you just realized, oh my gosh, um, I, I I I wasn't giving her enough credit for mm-hmm. for how she was looking at the world, and. Um, and Alan also has the ability to make the most simple lines charming. Like, yeah, it's guess not. not. Like, you're like, boy, there's nothing funny about that. Like, you know, right. anybody can write that line. But she says it, and it's, and it's and just it's all, Yeah, it's her mannerisms. It's her delivery. As somebody yeah. who does the scratch for Ellen, that's, I do it. And just, <laughs> so everything you just said, which is like, something about the scratch is just dumb. No, I wasn't <laughs> like, putting that that um, way. That's me. Um, so, but it is totally true. The respect, I mean, you don't even try. Like, I'm, I just try to read the lines just basically so that be knowing full well that when she gets on that stage, she has, she just has an intonation and a delivery that feels so charming. Like it just imbues that character with charm uh, that has nothing to do with the words that are being said. It's just the delivery of how she says it and the tone of her voice and mm-hmm. that it's, um, it is really unique and it's really hard to mimic. I tried for that. <laughs> I don't know, but it can. No. Yeah. Well, obviously she brought a lot to the table, but at the same time, I mean, think about it. Years before you came up with the story for this, she was outside beating the drum like, why isn't there a Nemo sequel? Yes, yeah. oh, I know, on her show. And when I called her to yeah. finally be able to tell her, yeah. she said, I wasn't, I was just kidding. <laughs> you know, like, and wait, wait, you're being really? very sarcastic, you know, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, no, she was, she has been, I think, I think it's been fun for us to watch too because I think obviously she's an incredibly busy woman that's oh involved gosh. in a bazillion things. It literally her just describing her morning we're like exhausted <laughs> at, and so when she comes in we feel like oh we have a you know like a moment before she heads off and does her other 80 things. But it's been really fun because she also is somebody who kind of keeps things you know she's not she's not overly kind of um, transparent in how she's you know she's professional and she comes in 
and then we got to show I think a big chunk of the movie to her really at, at the beginning of the year even though she's been seeing us almost mm. like every other week frankly but we actually got to show her some stuff and you could ju she just was, had the biggest grin on her face mm. and it's so nice because she I think was a kind of not believing because it took I mean in her world four years is like are you kidding me I know. like I, I, four I, seasons of her like, show like <laughs> eight, eight companies and 18 you know like so she's so it was like felt very far away and it was just really fun to kind of secretly from the side watch her because she keeps it you know when she watches she's more you can see she's just thinking about like oh, okay those are the lines I need to read I'm going to deliver those you know and then we just got to show her some stuff without any of that pressure and it was it's kind of fun to see yeah. a big grin on her face yeah. she's excited about it so, so you two work together a lot mm -hmm. I'm always curious how those um, director producer partnerships form and, and, and what that relationship really means because Pete and Jonas have one really keeps trying to shake me off I'm like, hey where are we going hey well, it was, Nemo, it was Nemo that really kind of raised our game because um, Lindsay and I had been working together in the same building, but and I think we were on the same show when you first came out on Bugs Life, but mm. very yes, different we apartments. Were. And, uh, <laughs> but she was production manager, which is basically like cheerleader, you huh. know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, like how to, it's like the person that's in the trenches trying to literally hold this stuff together like a line producer on the set all day, every day. Yeah. And my producer at the time, Graham and I, were like, we used to joke, we're like half a cheerleader. <laughs> and uh, and I just saw Lindsay just single-handedly just like handle this whole show, which was a hard show. Nemo was such a hard show, mm. and because uh, what we were tackling was just we were literally Water. tackling the whole ocean. Yeah. It was so difficult, and uh, I just remember thinking like, all right, that's that's somebody who. Uh, I really think could could do the job, you know, and and, and the best part is that I had no idea that he. I mean, he, I knew he knew who I was. I mean, we were literally together every day in every meeting, and I, so I I knew you knew who I was. But then you went away and you started writing Wally, Wally. Yeah. and I went on to Ratatouille, and I saw you in the atrium, and you'd been gone for a couple months, mm -hmm. and I seen and he's like, hey Lindsay, and I was like, oh, oh hey Andrew, like he's like, listen, I want you to produce Wally, and I was like, I'm sorry, <laughs> me, like. <laughs> I'm, are you sure? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like I, this. I think I formed it a little differently. I was like, I'm mad that you're on Ratatouille and I can't get you to produce Wally. Oh, yeah. and then I was, was like, oh, yeah. no, I'm not on Ratatouille. <laughs> um, uh, I'm off. Done. Yeah. Um, no, so it was, and then um, I think I think Andrew and I, obviously, we have a similar, um, we have a similar pace. Hmm. I yep. think you have Very to similar ha work ethic. Yeah, we yeah. work hard. We, we're, we, we, um, we can't let something go if it's but obviously yep. if it's bugging us for years. We have that some. We both are worriers at heart. We kind of worry about something and stress about things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that all, for me at least, it's always been. I've had the. I mean, Andrew almost produces himself. He's very organized. He's um, he's and he probably would say like. <laughs> um, he's very organized. He he's very conscious of a budget. He's very conscious of a schedule almost to the point where you're like, I got this, you, yeah, can, yeah. you can go and write, yeah. <laughs> let me do this. Um, but he's, he's, um, he's, he's, he's a powerhouse. And to me, it's like, I've worked with other directors for briefly, or I've kind of helped out on other shows. And I've had this moment of like, I, I, am a, I think I'm addicted to that energy, the energy that it's always going. There's always three other things in his brain. He never stops. He's kind of constantly there. It's never relaxed. No, my um, shows aren't fun. No, they're not. They're, I mean, but they're they're fun in the sense that everybody works really hard, and it's like, and and you get kind of. It's one time I had the pleasure of walking across our building with Steve Jobs, and I was walking next to him. I don't. He didn't really know me from anybody. We were walking. We were walking to a meeting, and like he walks pretty fast, and so then I started walking pretty fast, and then I think he started walking a little bit faster, and literally by the end we were like <laughs> sprinting, and both of us I think we're like, why is the other one sprinting? And yeah. then I and it's 
that is the sense you have when you work with Andrew is mm -hmm. that you're kind of in a sprint. Um, and it's a four-year sprint, so it gets <laughs> exhausting. But it's nice. It's addictive. I mean, I think, I think, I don't know if I could work with a director who didn't have that energy. I think his... We both believe that um, even if you do everything right, the, the movie making is against you and that it's hard and that you're going to be somehow trying to find time you don't have. Well, well what we're firm believers in is that is that you come up with ideas that you and answers at the, the, last, at the last minute, minute. Like, the, like you don't have control sometimes there's just certain things and it takes for the dress rehearsal for you to suddenly go oh now I see it mm -hmm. and we live in fear of that happening and not being able to do something about it that we've run out of time we've run out of money we've run out of resources so that's why we run so fast <laughs> is that we, we we both believe that like we need to like carve out time and resources at the end at the end so that we can do that 10% change that's going to improve things 90%. It's hard too because it's yeah. I mean it is and it's it Pixar that's the the hardest thing right is you're doing a studio and the easiest thing the thing everybody kind of is, wants to do is certainly a lot of the technical people too are like let's solve for why. Hmm. Right? Like so they're like let's solve how we make movies because we are very smart <laughs> people in theory, and we have done a few of these, and so there is no reason why we can't make this far more efficient <laughs> and easier to predict, and we can do three films in two years, and we will be able to staff them and not have any problems and all this stuff. We all go, yes, we should totally do that. And then every time we're like, that was a complete mistake. <laughs> so uh, the only thing I can say, and, and the thing is that Pete, Pete Doctor's film's totally different. Yeah, Pete, very like, different. Pete really takes time in the development phase as he's because he has these huge ideas and it takes him a long time to kind of come up with the structure behind that and then it feels as though he races to the finish line mm. once because yeah, right. he's like but and andrew is like complete opposite, opposite. which mm. is like I get there as fast as i can as close to the finish line and then i slow away to, yeah mm. and it takes just as long i mean there's like it doesn't have any it doesn't nobody's faster than the other it's just that andrew like looks like he's further along much sooner and then and yeah. then we literally go like oh god now yeah. the last 30 percent takes yeah you know three times the time wow you just wired up differently yeah, so it takes different just, temperaments sorry andrew when you start wrapping up you sure. just have a last question how much time do you take and can do for mentoring <laughs> it's kind of built in um you know angus is a perfect example as my co-director and the way we deal with co-director, and we have ever, I mean, basically, I was co-director on Toy Story, but we didn't have a title for it. And so uh, John, after that, said, like, e we've got to give you a title. And so we says, well, how do you, I'm basically Robin to your Batman. I'm a deputy to your sheriff. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't share the, the vision. I just am the supporter given the power, like an attorney general, to just be able to run around and do whatever I need to to, like, help you make it. And so he says, well, let's call a co-director, and that's what it'll mean for us. We'll put it on a separate card, and it won't, it's not that we are both directors. It's that you're the sheriff, and I'm, I'm, I'm just the deputy. And, and I'm the guy that you can trust that can tell you when something's on your face and nobody's telling you, I'll tell you. Or and I'm the guy that also tell you that when everybody else says it's the worst idea, but I think it is the great idea, I'm going to still fight for you and say it's the right idea. And, and so those have turned out to be a really great place to, like, build up people that we, we feel uh, uh, might have directed you know, material. So same thing happened um, uh, with uh, Lee, and um, same thing's happened with Ronnie Little Carmen, um, and mm -hmm. it's happening with Josh Cooley right now, it's happening with, with Angus. I mean, there, it's, there's other pathways, but sometimes we can see it earlier and we just feel like 
there's so much invisible stuff that goes on in the day-to-day that just never gets shared so much knowledge and the only way you can kind of apprenticeship is just to have somebody kind of tag along right and obviously there's the brain trust i mean you you know you sit and and in the brain trust and all the films that are in development and all the films that are in production are being kind of seen and re-seen and redone and all of that kind of every every four months. Um, it's very messy though, but I'm kind of glad that it's messy because if if it gets too institutionalized, then you're saying there's only one way to cut it. And frankly, we were born out of trying to, you know, cut the cloth a different way than everybody else. And so you don't want to snuff that. You want to if we're sitting to on fight a, if we're it. sitting on originality and people that think differently, yet they're going to make great stuff. Somehow I want to let them exist, even if it looks like they're folding the roadmap wrong to me. You know, and that's 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 easy to say, hard to do. You know, so. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Squirt here will now give you a rundown on proper exiting technique. Mom, it's just a ball. Don't let it happen again. Yes, well, I'll, uh, I'll try to be less careless. It's got this kind of mm, melty, it's not really a smoky taste. It, it, it's a certain, oh, it's kind of like a... <laughs> Boom! Sap kind of taste. Don't you think? What would you call that flavor? Lightning? Don't look at the light! I can't help it. It's so beautiful. My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. Gone! It's all gone. All it's gone. Bye-bye. Woo, see ya. Thank you for listening to the Pixar Podcast.